Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Thank you for tuning in to the JMU Sports News Podcast. Before we jump into the podcast, we have a quick word from our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue to march to the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE to get started. That's promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. Welcome into another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlin, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. And soon we'll be joined by a very special guest. Yeah, very soon. In just mere minutes, we'll be joined by Carlos from Baseball America um, to talk Chase DeLauder. He has some fantastic insights about Chase, about his Cape Cod um, experience, and then kind of his lackluster opening weekend and how JMU fans shouldn't necessarily hit the panic button yet on Chase, but how some scouts may bring that into account as they kind of uh, look at his overall body of work moving forward. Yeah, I think for me at least. <laughs> you good? Yeah, yeah my, did something happen? No, you just was a long pause. Oh, no, well, yours was cutting in and out, so I got it late. Oh. But um, for... <laughs> For, for me, as someone who was on like the UVA baseball beat for, it was really mostly a year because the one year got cut out due to COVID. They played 10 or 15 games or whatever, maybe it's yeah. 20. But for, for following like a college baseball team that ended up making it to the College World Series and going to Omaha and all that stuff, the way players are evaluated feels in ways similar to like the NFL or the NBA or whatever, like these major drafts we're familiar with, like traits matter in the nfl right so if someone produces at the fcs level or whatever it's probably not as important as like their size and speed and the things that will translate to the nfl when that makes sense with with the major leagues as well and and like the major kind of prospects but it's even a little different like virginia had some guys that like hit okay but they didn't have much power but they had the ability to like scouts thought they had power there that virginia didn't tap into and they became like really high draft picks were then kind of tearing it up at some of these minor league levels with more power there's a lot more like summer league stuff matters like the off season matters whereas like in football you're probably just working out like maybe in a group or by yourself you don't have like these off season leagues where you're gonna like boost your nfl draft stock so i think that's interesting because a lot of like what chase delauder does that makes him a major league baseball prospect like as high as he is isn't just like oh he rocked mason on tuesday or wednesday whatever that game was he rocked mason like that's not really what does it it's like his stuff in the cape cod league and then also what scouts are projecting he can do because of his physical tools so i just thought that was interesting to have carlos like really elaborate on that because i feel like there are some jamie fans are like well of course he's you know it's almost 400 in a jamie uniform of course it's like well that's not really why 
he's considered a prospect. It's because of, you know, some of that other stuff. Yeah. And I'm not to discount what he did with the RCBL too. Right. When he was, you know, that's like the Michael Jordan's going up against plumbers. Like one summer chase the water is probably going up against that <laughs> caliber of pitching. Yeah. But he's a stud and really good, but it was cool to have someone, um, you know, Carlos Colazzo of baseball America, who is one of the like more prominent prospect writers, at least in my opinion, that's pretty well known and is doing a really good job to have him analyze it was helpful, not just for our listeners, but I also think for me yeah. to listen to some of that, it added some perspective and context into like why Chase Delauder is good and how the series at Florida State, you know, maybe still actually will hold weight when the draft comes. Yep. And I think that's a perfect segue just to get it on over, throw it on over to Carlos and Bennett and myself and, uh, enjoy this nice little uh, 15 minute interview where Carlos breaks down Chase DeLotter's skill set, Chase DeLotter's um, probability of potentially maybe going first overall to the Orioles. Maybe. Enjoy. Tons of people take multivitamins, but it's important to choose one that is top quality. With one delicious scoop of athletic greens, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods probiotics, and aptogens to start your day right. Their special blend of ingredients supports gut health, nervous system, immune system, energy recovery, focus, and aging. It's also lifestyle friendly and fits a wide range of diets. There's only one gram of sugar and no chemicals or artificial anything. Reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash believe. That's athleticgreens.com slash B-L-E-A-V. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Athletic Greens, take ownership of your health. We have a very special guest for this week's edition of the podcast, Carlos Colazzo, who is one of the better, I would say, one of the better uh, baseball writers and, and certainly prospect analysts in the country from Baseball America, joins us to talk Chase DeLauder. So, Carlos, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, and thanks for the the kind words. Um, happy to be here. I got to see Chase and James Madison take on Florida State opening weekend, and he's certainly one of the more interesting prospects in the draft class this year. So happy to uh, dig into him and uh, chat with you guys for a little bit. Awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for, for taking the time. And I guess for starters, you mentioned that you were at that Florida State series, but can you mm -hmm. Take us kind of through what your job is at Baseball America and, and what that sort of entails for you. It certainly sounds like you're watching prospects quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I am the draft writer at Baseball America. So my responsibilities are essentially just to cover the draft. So for, for baseball and for MLB, that means all the college prospects in the country and all the top high school prospects in the country. Our draft, as I'm sure listeners of this podcast know, is a little bit different than NFL and the NBA. Um, so it's draft eligible high school players, mostly seniors in high school, and then mostly juniors and draft eligible sophomores in college. So I spend the year um, basically just watching all those players, talking with scouts, trying to line up our board, re-rank the top 500 players in the draft every year. 
Uh, and then as we get closer, we do mock drafts and such. So if you're interested in the drafts or just college baseball or high school baseball prospects in general, um, we've got a lot of stuff that might interest you uh, on the website and uh, with the work I do. So it's, it's a lot of fun uh, every year. Um, you kind of have the similar rhythms that you go through that you get used to, but every year the draft class is different and the strengths and weight weaknesses of each class are different. And it's always kind of fun trying to figure out who's going to go where and how the first round is going to unfold. And then obviously where players beyond that will land as well. So it's a, it's a fantastic job. I love doing it. And uh, it's a fun challenge every year. Awesome. I did want to ask before we get into uh, DeLauder and I guess what you saw at Florida state and all that good stuff, mm -hmm. uh, like in football for, I know a lot of, people listen to our podcast or Jamie football fans. It's yeah. pretty straightforward, like how the NFL draft works and, and when you'll see guys selected. So what is that blend like of like small school or mid-major, I guess, maybe a better way to describe JMU. Those kind of prospects and high school guys, like does it matter that, that Chase DeLauder plays at JMU? How mm -hmm. much does that affect his stock compared to maybe how it would at a different sport or something like that, where it's harder to break through as a mid-major player? Yeah, it, it definitely matters. I think the level that you play at and the competition that you face is certainly important. Um, obviously, with with baseball, you have a, a number of um, like vastly varying levels of competition throughout the the prospect pool. You'll have high school players who are in the Northeast who are really only playing a couple months in the year, and maybe they're not facing any pitchers who are throwing even in the 80s. And then you'll have SEC players um, in the best, typically the best conference in college baseball, who are going up against pitchers throwing 90 really every game. So the, the competition level varies pretty drastically in the draft and teams definitely have to sort through that and balance tools versus production. Um, it can be a lot harder to get a good gauge on a hitter in a smaller conference or who's playing against weaker competition. I, I think for hitters specifically, you'll find that it's more important um, just to have a, a solid base of competition and success against that competition. That definitely makes teams feel a lot more comfortable with the pick with pitchers. It's a little bit easier to identify stuff regardless of the competition, um, a 95 mile per hour fastball with good peripherals and underlying stats. Um, you can kind of identify that whether or not, whether you're going up against first round hitters or whether or not you're going up against players who will kind of stop playing baseball after high school. Um, so it's a little easier for pitchers. I think with chase specifically um, it's challenging because small school college hitters always have um, bigger question marks and teams always really want to get confident. And what, what is the hit tool going to play like against quality competition? I think the good thing for chase is he had a really exceptional Cape Cod league um, last summer. That is what vaulted him up onto draft radars uh, to the extent that, that he is now we have him ranked as the number six player in the class currently. And largely that was based on the production of the Cape. Obviously his performance at JMU the past two years has been really loud on its own, but that Cape production really carries a lot of weight for scouting directors and for scouting departments because it comes against some of the better competition um, across college baseball, kind of all gathered in that Cape Cod League during the summer. It's with a wood bat. That's a difference as well. That's important. Scouts like to see kind of how hitters handle wood. Uh, it's quite a bit different than metal. Uh, power production is a lot different. So all of those things kind of factor in. And I think for hitters, and especially for hitters who have a chance to get um, multiple millions of dollars in the draft. It certainly is important and something that, um, that weighs into the overall evaluation. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I guess I think for me and, and Jack, I don't know if you had a different thought process here, but I was in, you saw, um, when you did see him live at Florida state, I think he was like three for 14 with maybe eight strikeouts though. So I, <laughs> I guess what was kind of your impressions of, of seeing him live a little bit? 
Yeah, it was it was not the greatest look. I, I felt a little bad knowing that I was going to be talking to you guys because <laughs> I mean, going into the year chase, it, it feels like he's one of the more exciting players in the country, and he really just did not have um, a great debut when I saw him. It wasn't a good look. Um, it's tough, though, kind of trying to balance my individual looks with everything that I know he did last summer, and I saw the video on, and it was actually funny. We're talking with some people in the BA uh, staff slack who, who they saw him last summer and they're trying to square what they saw, which was exceptional last summer with just him struggling out of the gate, um, opening weekend. But I think it is, it is worth pointing out that he faced Parker Messick and Bryce Hubbard, who are two of the better college pitchers in the class, both left on left matchups. That makes it really tricky. And both of those guys really dominated the entire JMU lineup throughout. Um, so while Chase didn't look great, um, maybe stumbled out of the gate a little bit, it's also credit to those Florida State pitchers and just how good they are for that performance. I think for me specifically, what I saw, um, I was just a little bit surprised with how steep the swing was for a guy who has posted the batting averages that he has in the past and has the sort of underlying contact rate and an ability to stay within the zone in terms of swing decisions, pitch recognition. He chased a little bit more than I was expecting given his um, pedigree coming into that event. Uh, I was also a little bit surprised the first round of BP that I saw Friday, a, a little less raw power in batting practice than I expected to see. Although Saturday he had a better round and showed some pretty impressive raw power. Um, so I have some questions just trying to line up my personal views with Chase versus all the information that we had coming into this spring. Um, and I think it's tough too, because I, I think that series is going to weigh a lot on evaluators minds because it is one of the times where, um, Chase and the whole JMU lineup really got a chance to play against one of the better teams in college baseball. We we're talking about with that competition. Um, the body of work that he has kind of speaks for itself and the Cape performance is very loud. It's easy to kind of give him a pass for the first weekend. You're going down and facing a team that's been on the field a lot more than you probably have at JMU. Um, and those left on left matchups are just tough in general. So even if it was midseason, that's a very tough at bat. So I would say a little disappointed just, just because I know what his talent is. I know what his tool set is, but at the same time, you look at what he's done and it's a really strong body of work. What's so you've, you've been watching his videos, you know, diving into what Chase DeLauder does. What's kind of that one thing that has jumped off the screen to you that's catapulted him up outside of just good numbers, like the intangibles, I guess. I think one thing that separates Chase from especially college players, you typically, because you have high school players and college players in the baseball draft, typically all the toolsiest players are drafted out of high school and make it to college. Chase is one of those rare college players that has a really explosive raw tool set. Um, so his raw power, his physicality as a six foot four, um, 230 pound center fielder who who has turned in double plus run times, um, really strong throwing arm, like that overall tool set combined with the bat to ball profile that he's shown. I mean, he's a guy who never really expanded the zone. His contact rate was one of the better ones that I saw just looking at like our top 100 college prospects, the, the data that I have at my disposal, his contact rate and chase rate stacked up near the top of the class in those categories. And I think this is where it can get a little bit tricky is, is he just an exceptional bat to ball and batting eye hitter or has he taken advantage of competition that maybe is a little bit easier for hitters to face in the conference? And I think that's where the conversation with Chase is really going to center on uh, or around. Um, Cause 
the Cape, I think the Cape really does help in that regard because you saw him perform against competition that you feel is really strong and, and not to knock on the competition. Like I'm sure he's going to face some good arms this year. Um, but it's just a different conversation than when you're looking at maybe that same data set with a hitter who's faced a lot of SEC competition. It's just a different tier of arm. Um, but, but for Chase specifically, I think the combination of his raw tools um, and physical upside that those tools give him combined with the contact rate and the plate discipline that we've seen in the past is really what makes him a unique player. I think players like Garrett Mitchell and Cameron Meisner are, are two of the more toolsy college players that I've seen in recent years. And I think Chase's just raw tool set stacks up with those guys. Yeah, that's certainly impressive for him. I think the, I was looking at this up earlier. I think Dan Meyer, he went 34th overall in 2002 was the highest JMU pick, I guess, from what you've seen, you would imagine Delauder's got a chance to go above that. Yeah, I would think so. I think he has a good shot to kind of set the record for a James Madison uh, draftee. I mean, answering the season, I had talked with some scouting directors who thought he was a legitimate one, one candidate. Um, and with Baltimore picking in the top spot this year, I think that's certainly possible still. Um, he's going to have to rebound from opening weekend. And I know in the first midweek game, he had a pretty good game, uh, got his first home run of the year. Um, so the tool set makes sense for that range. This is a very strong hitting class on the college side. So he's going to have some competition, some bigger conferences that might make things tricky, but he's certainly a first round talent now. And it would be, it would take a really bad year, I think, for him to fall out of that range, given his, his kind of foundation of production, his track record, his resume and his Cape league production. Gotcha. Yeah. I guess the last question for me, I was kind of interested in, in what he needs to do the rest of the year to, to stay atop draft boards and, maybe impress scouts, especially with some of those games against, you know, lesser competition. Yeah. I think one of the things that I've mentioned when just talking with some people who, who've seen him in the past, they mentioned that his swing just looked a little bit stiffer opening weekend. So maybe getting a little bit looser in that and, and getting back to the rhythm that he showed last year. I don't know um, specifically at this point, what his off season regimen was. Maybe he bulked up a little bit and that's, impacted the swing maybe it's just as simple as he needs to kind of shake the rust off and get going in the opening season but for him I think you just need to continue hitting uh, like he's hit in the past if he if he has the same production um, that he's shown in the last two years um, against competition in that conference he should be fine um, I know scouts are going to be bearing down on the specifics the stuff that they're really good at picking out like um, details of the swing is he on time has the bat path gotten too steep? Is the bat speed still there? If all of that checks out, uh, I think he should be fine with production. But if he doesn't perform this year, and there's, there's no real reason to think that he won't, um, that could be a bit tricky for him because we have seen some players um, in smaller conferences in the past. I think Ethan Wilson is a guy from last year who kind of struggled out of the gate a little bit. He dealt with some injuries. Um, but Colton Kalzer last year is another small conference player who had a really good track record entering the year um, and was the number five overall pick. So it's not like small conference players aren't going to go that high. And I think the Louders um, tool set is quite a bit stronger than, than Colton Kowser's. Now who's the better pure hitter there. I think there's an argument to be had for, for Kowser, but um, there are a lot of good things in, in Chase's direction right now with what he's done and what he, he probably will continue to do in the future. So I think as long as the swing looks good, um, scouts will feel pretty confident. Awesome. awesome. And I, I, I lied one more question for me. I was curious too, cause they, <laughs> no, they've fine. thrown him out there occasionally on the mound and mm -hmm. I was curious too. It doesn't seem like that's really why people are interested in him, but mm -hmm. uh, defensively, what does he, he add there? You mentioned some of that speed that he has. Is there anything fielding wise or is it mostly just what he does at the plate that has him as a top prospect? Yeah. 
No, I think the hitting is certainly the most important thing, but but you do have to profile the defensive position and the fact that the fact that he's as big as he is and people don't automatically say, yeah, he's clearly a corner guy is surprising. I think speaks to his athleticism and his running ability. I saw him make a number of plays defensively in opening weekend and he looked pretty good. Most of them were routine plays, but he had a couple challenging in between plays going back over his right shoulder, coming in and making a sliding catch. Um, when he's underway, he's, he moves pretty fast for a guy that big. And I think most people do expect him to move to a corner at the next level. Um, but I think he has the athleticism, uh, the running ability and the arm strength, although the arm doesn't really matter for center field, but I think he's got a chance to at least start his career in center and then move off the position. If he's forced off it once, once he's playing with a better defensive center fielder, or if he slows down a little bit as he gets older and maybe adds more strength, um, and becomes more of that kind of classic right field profile. But everything that I saw defensively was, was pretty good. And, it's very rare, I think, to see a player that big who, who moves around like he does. So that's, that's kind of a good um, – it's, it's a lot easier to profile as an up-the-middle type, and the fact that he has that in his back pocket in addition to that tool set and that bat is, is a good thing for him. Awesome. Do you have a, a last-minute third last question, Bennett? <laughs> no, I think that's, that's pretty much all I've got, Jack, unless you wanted to add anything. No, I'm all, I'm all questioned out. You, you hit every nail on the head, Bennett. Awesome. Well, Carlos, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate the insight. There's lots of stuff there that uh, we either haven't seen or, or just don't pick up on. <laughs> so it's nice to hear from you and also sort of what you've heard from scouts. It's, it's interesting. I know Jamie fans are kind of really passionate about the sports, but uh, mm -hmm. in terms of baseball, since the team has been down the last few years, just seeing all the things with DeLauder, I know some people are interested in, you know, what actually makes Chase DeLauder mm -hmm. a top tier prospect. So I think this brought a lot of uh, valuable information as to why. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. And if you're a JMU fan, I would definitely recommend going out and watching him because there's a chance that he's a very high draft pick very soon. And uh, I would love to get some more looks of him this year in person. I don't know if that, that'll happen or not, but um, he, he's a pretty special talent. So um, yeah, thanks for having me on to, to chat about him, guys. This was fun. Of course. And uh, I guess if you could plug yourself too and where people can find your work related to, to prospects, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. Um, my Twitter is Carlos A. Colazzo that you can kind of follow all of my work there. And then anything that I write, uh, we do podcasts, any, any of the content that I'm producing throughout the years at baseballamerica.com. Um, so you can check that out. Um, if you're interested, we do draft stuff, we do college stuff, we do minor league prospects. So if you're into any of that, uh, definitely check out Baseball America. Awesome. awesome. Sweet. Thanks. Thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks guys. Take care. What's more important than peace of mind? Nothing. And that's what NordVPN is here for to give you peace of mind while you're online. And with all of the threats that you face today on the internet, it is more important than ever to be sure that you have the best VPN you can get. NordVPN is the world's best VPN service offering the fastest connectivity, most servers and next gen encryption to make sure that everything you do online stays secure. Plus, you can use NordVPN on all of your computers and devices, no matter the operating system. With NordVPN's unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about a slow connection either. And plans, well, they start at just under $40. Sorry, plans start at just under $4 a month. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash believe or use the code believe that's nordvpn.com slash b-l-e-a-v or use the code believe b-l-e-a-v to get up to 75 percent off to get up to 70 percent off your nordvpn plan 
plus one additional month free. It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Thank you again to Carlos Colazzo for coming on the podcast, talking with us about Chase DeLauder and uh, bearing through Bennett's two final questions that uh, both he <laughs> pitched as his final question. But he kind of mentioned it, a lackluster Florida State series, I think 14 at-bats, you said, eight strikeouts. Not great. But then he comes back with, I think, his first home run of the season against Mason. Granted, it was a 14-0 just clobbering of George Mason. Um, and that's not what a scout's necessarily looking at. But what has Chase DeLauder and this baseball team as a whole done so far to start this season? Right. It hasn't really been all that impressive. But, um, I mean, they, <laughs> they so they go to Florida State, and they're actually pretty competitive in that first game. Yeah. They lose 4-1. to one, And I think that's when they were going up against, yeah, Parker Messick, who's just an unbelievably good left-handed pitcher for Florida State. Struck out 11 and 5 and 2 thirds bullpen was pretty good too they made a little bit of a push there where i think they brought like the tying run to the plate maybe in the eighth or something but weren't able to end up tying it but four to one's not the end of the world they took a lead on an early home run so they led florida state then the next two you lose 13 to 2 and 10 to 4 so less competitive which probably makes a little sense um, as you maybe get deeper into your pitching rotation as the weekend goes on florida state should have more talent and depth there and they do uh, but a wednesday bounce back 14 to nothing over george mason I think they're an interesting team because, like, I think they're capable of some nice results against some of these bad teams. Like, they have a three-game weekend series against Fairleigh Dickinson. So I'm actually kind of all in on, like, following this team this year and seeing what they can do because I think it's, like, they need to do something or I think Eikenberry might be out. So I think that's interesting. They have a guy who we just had a legitimate analyst come on and tell us he could go number one overall. Yeah. Like, that seems like a fun team to follow, even if it doesn't end up the way JMU fans hope. I think it's kind of an interesting uh, season to track. Yeah, and then they have a bunch of guys who are hitting fairly well. Mm-hmm. Um, like, this, is a, this isn't a bad offense by any stretch. You have Rafe Snyder, who's batting four fifty five. I think, yeah, two home runs, pure power from the catcher position. You have um, Dooley, Ryan Dooley at seven at-bats, four twenty nine. Jason... Ooh, I'm not going to try and pronounce that last name. He's batting 333. Zona's batting 308. Delauder 294. Dabney 286. This is inflated by a Mason Mason game where they all probably went like two for three or three for four or something. Um, but yeah, a lot of power in this lineup. Carson Bell has a home run. Delauder has a home run. Rafe Snyder has two. I don't think offense is going to be a problem for this team this season. The the pitching staff might have its ups and downs like we saw. Like I think Showalter got the start uh, game one against Florida State, and he did a really good job in his start. But then as you, you taper down and, and you get deeper into the staff and you get deeper into your bullpen, that's when I think there might be some issues that, that, that rear their ugly head. Interested to see how they like manage guys because it seems like they're trying to limit innings a little bit because they haven't had a full season in a couple of years. Yeah. So I'm interested in that. Um, quick shout out to Liam McDonald. He's a redshirt senior lefty for them. Uh, Through four innings, didn't give up a hit against George Mason. I think he was a starter in that one, struck out five. I think he went against five Florida. innings. Uh, he went four in that when he pitched an inning against Florida State without coming up a run. Got it. Thank you. But he's, um, no, but that's really good. Like he's pitched five <laughs> innings this year. And he hasn't given up a hit. So, like, yeah. that's a good thing. And then you've also got Ryan Murphy, who's gone five innings, and he has not given up a run. Um, he pitched an inning against Florida State and struck out three 
in that inning and then struck out four and four innings, uh, shutout innings against Mason. So there's some things to like there, but yeah, they've, we'll see how they manage the pitching, but I think it'll help with the schedule getting easier. They have some opportunities, Tennessee, Virginia tech kind of come to mind as teams on the schedule. That would be nice wins. So I'm interested to follow this team pretty excited about maybe what they're capable of doing. I think Trey Dabney's one that yeah. has our, our friend uh, Nick Stevens excited because he's been, been doing a nice job and he actually didn't inflate him his, his stats. He's only hitting 286, but he went over two uh, against Mason. I imagine he might've walked a little bit in that one, but he went over two and actually had a hit in every game against the Seminoles, which I thought was a, a positive sign. So there's reasons to like this team. I, I, my expectations are still very low yeah, based on history, but kind of interested. I think it, I think they're a fun team, especially now early on in the season when they are probably going to be playing worse teams mm-hmm. to get out to Eagle field <laughs> and watch them play and just watch this offense, just completely obliterate everyone. Trey Dabney is a really fun player too. I'm glad you brought him up. He did really, really well at front Royal when he played for the Cardinals mm-hmm. and the BBL. Um, since his freshman year, he's just kind of been, a consistent on base guy with some solid power and pop in his bat. Um, so Dabney's been a really fun guy. What is he now? A red shirt junior. Um, going to be interesting to see how he does this season and how he develops and how he gets going. I'm just really excited about Delauder. Delauder's a lot of fun. And if, if, if past seasons are any indication of what he's going to do this year, he's going to be batting in the upper three hundreds, four hundreds with some solid power and, a six five two thirty five frame. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little farther away now, but I would. They're one that, like, if you're within a couple hours, I think somewhat interesting to maybe make a day trip and check out a game. Um, so I'll put that on my radar, depending on how they do the rest of the season, and see if they can. I know they also come to College Park, so maybe I'll make my way there in May. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to to keep an eye out on what they can do because there's there's potential there, and the fact that they have such a good prospect in Delauder coupled with a coach who's kind of, you know, coaching for his job a little bit here from a, from an entertainment perspective is kind of fun. Yeah. And maybe that March 15th, Tuesday, we'll, we'll find our way to, um, to veterans Memorial park and, and watch Virginia tech in a nice little midweek. That's, that seems like it would be a fun one. And that one, that one is on flow baseball. So I know a lot of people are Whew, huge fans of it. Goodness. Watch something on flow. I watched a little bit. <laughs> I watched a little bit of the Mason game. And I know some of this is like, jmu probably with the production um but some of the it's really hard to get like a the difference between watching i would say like a football game in person and watching on tv like there's a difference but you still get a pretty good product the angles when you have like a limited number of cameras yeah for a baseball for baseball is rough like there are sometimes they were going down low through the screen, but you saw the screen to like see someone catching it. Like it was almost better to just like track live stats. So yeah, that is, that is certainly one reason if you live in the area to maybe go out and catch a couple, cause it's not the same chase to water viewing experience. Yeah. You can have a, you can have a really good football broadcast with one camera. You are struggling to have a good broadcast of baseball with one camera. Half the time, it doesn't even get the whole field. That's the so best like part. Ball, it it, it yeah. gets like – you don't get the foul area, so they'll pop, and then the player runs off, and then you're just right. like <laughs> waiting for the cheer if he caught it in foul territory or not, and you're like, right. what's happening? Or sometimes it cuts off the ump, like depending on like yeah. where the view is. It cuts off the ump, so all you see is the batter and the catcher, and you have no idea what the calls are. 
get. <laughs> it can be kind of rough. So <laughs> I think it it's maybe worth getting some of those. There are also some on ESPN Plus when they're on the road that might be worth like, hey, I'll tune in for these. So yeah. something to keep an eye on. Speaking of rough, JMU men's basketball. Yeah, we're going to go basketball, then we'll hit a, what, a little softball and lax after we do a quick basketball stuff. And uh, the men's season's almost over, which is good, I guess. <laughs> it's, it's sad what has happened with this basketball season. It started with so much hope, so much promise, wins over all of the in-state teams, and a COVID pause. And then I don't know if it's – we've been trying to figure out what it is. It might just be that they have nothing to play for, and now they've lost two of their star players, and they still have nothing to play for. They cut the Towson lead to three at one point later in the second half. I think with about seven minutes or something left, they cut the Towson lead to three at Towson, and then they lose by 14, is it? Uh, 19. 19. My math was off by five there. Lose by 19. Not a good showing. Do we talk UNCW fight at all? Oh, is that, yeah. Is we that talk worth? about UNCW fight. Uh, it was overshadowed by the Jawan Howard fight the next day. but I It was really overshadowed, that. wasn't it, by like an immediate better fight with nationally <laughs> prominent teams. And a coach. Both of the coaches fight. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Players. Way better. But the UNCW fight was kind of ridiculous. That game was horribly officiated. There's been a lot of conversation on it. I don't know how much you even have to add, but – there was a bunch of shoving. At one point, Amadi was Amadi was ejected for "quote unquote" punching someone, and then an alternate angle shows that he absolutely did not touch anyone. Wooden did kind of the shove push, so then they incorrectly ejected Amadi, which led to more free throws for UNCW. The game goes to overtime. UNCW wins by one. Wasn't there also the, a really bad call late in overtime on? There are a lot. It's yeah. It seemed like a lot of it was was kind of rough. I'm kind of over it just because it doesn't really matter. Like if, if they were in the conference tournament, there was like something like that again after last year's Elon officiating debacle, like that would have been something for me, but I'm pretty just, I don't know. I'm excited for this season to end. I will say Ihanacho and Edwards, those two guys have made me kind of excited about the future. I like how they've, they've finished. Edwards has shown the ability to score and Ihanacho can kind of create some offense struggle against Towson, one assist, five turnovers, but led the team with six steals. So I, uh, I really like what the defensive end and his versatility. So those two guys have me excited. Yeah, so he's plus one in the turnover department, which is great. Six steals, but five turnovers. So plus one in the end, it works <laughs> exactly. out. Um, I am excited for this last game. I think this Saturday game, 4 p.m. tip, uh, Towson at JMU. I think this is a big game. Like, I think this is a good barometer on how good this team actually is because I think they're going to be playing for something. They're going to be playing for Chuck. They're going to be playing – yeah, like end of season. season on a on a on a high note. I'm really really pumped for next season though because I think mm-hmm. they have a real shot at winning the Sun Belt and getting the NCAA tournament. And the second this season ends, I'm starting the countdown on Game One of Sun Belt action in uh, basketball. That's a great point. Am I crazy for thinking no that so that they lose Falden, but everyone else is able to come back if they want to and i it's kind of been hard to tell what some of those decisions have been or haven't been but if they return a somewhat similar roster they've got to be among the sunbelt favorites right yeah and especially if they add a five <laughs> that yeah that, it sounds like be, a broken record but that'll be interesting i think that might depend on if anyone transfers out or someone decides to end up leaving because 
sounds like the Roberson commit is one that Byington does think can develop into like a shot blocker. So interesting there. I don't know if he's ready to be a shot blocking force his freshman year. Yeah. But uh, a very good point. Yeah, I'm excited for the future as well. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. I'm also excited for the women's basketball future. We'll, we won't dive too much into them. A, a disappointing season. They, they didn't have Peyton McDaniel. Uh, Claire Neff got hurt midway through the season. Kind of very similar to the men's side. Just not a lot playing for. But yeah, they, yeah. yeah, I was gonna say they've still got four games left, so I think we'll do a season re or sort of recap on them maybe once that actually ends. So they've still uh, they got games this weekend and the following weekend. And jumping over to back to the diamond after yes. we uh, left there for a hot second, softball's open the season at three and one. They play the Charlotte Invitational this last weekend, February 19th through the 20th, played four games, two Saturday, two Sunday, went one and one on Saturday with a nine, five win against UConn and then a six, one loss to Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte's looking like they're a pretty solid program though. So not a terrible loss there. And then again, UConn, they obliterated on Sunday morning uh, 11 to five, and then they beat Campbell four to one. So I, I would say a solid showing out of this, uh, this young, new, uh, different softball lineup. I was pleased. I was pleased. Yeah. I mean, Charlotte's really good. They're 10 and two and their one of their most recent loss was a five, two loss to a ranked Clemson team. They've been really good. They beat UVA. Uh, they got another one in there that's that's kind of nice. Um, South Carolina. So, like, I think they're a pretty good team. So, I wasn't too upset with that loss. It was reasonably competitive for most of it. I think JMU has uh, got a solid little team. I think the issue, and maybe not the issue, but I think they're inexperienced. Like, they're not what they were last year. Um, yeah. But I do want to give a shout-out to Kayla Bozeman, who we have been kind of hyped about, like, in previous seasons, a Mississippi State transfer is now kind of getting an opportunity to play as a redshirt junior. She's been pretty good. She's hitting 400, has a home run, a couple RBIs um, through those four games and has started all those games. So excited about that. Emily Phillips looks good. Hannah Shiflett's done some nice things. Seems like they've gotten a bunch of different people to, to get ABs, and Hannah Hennessy's been awesome as a sophomore. So um, a lot of different contributors. And a much, 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 much different test this weekend. Who do they have this weekend? All right. Break it so down for us. Friday, they play twice. This is the UCF Knights Classic in Orlando, Florida. Should have went down for it. But they play Oakland Friday at 9.30 a.m. I don't know how good Oakland is. I think that's probably the most winnable game. Uh, it is the most winnable game of the, of the weekend. Then they play Ole Miss Friday at noon. Yeah, so but SEC, they're they are unranked. They've seemed somewhat beatable based off of some early season results. I wouldn't necessarily expect it. They're eight and three and they've, they've had some competitive games against teams that I don't think are necessarily great. Like they played two games against Troy and the like net score of the two games was 11 to 11. So tight ones there. Um, Eastern Kentucky almost clipped them in a game. San Diego actually beat them five to two. So I don't know. Right. Like, Maybe they beat Ole Miss. Like, it's certainly doable. Saturday, they play a UCF team that's pretty darn good. I think UCF, and I'll double-check this, I think UCF clipped somebody this year. Um, that's reasonable. So UCF is 6-5, and 7-5 now. 7-5, and five, but they beat Georgia to open the season, a ranked Georgia team. They beat a receiving votes Fresno State. They also beat Liberty. So I uh, 
they played a crazy hard schedule. They got a win over a ranked Texas team too, but then they got like, they've lost to Florida state. Their schedule has been nuts, but UCF is really good. It's at UCF. So that's hard. And then on Sunday, they play one game Sunday. It's against number four, Florida. <laughs> I don't think that'll go well. Just, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't, I don't see that going well, but the, it's a really good test. Those four games. I think I'd probably be, I think if you're a Jamie fan, two and two sounds pretty good, but if you go, if you go three and one fantastic, but I think the Florida game is probably a loss, but great experience for them and a, a much bigger test than what they've gone up against. Yeah. And uh, Oakland, this is going to be Oakland's first game of the season. They were 26 and 16 last year, but did not win the horizon league. Yeah. And they're not having played kind of a little bit of a disadvantage. I feel like, like gives you an edge to, to have some games under your belt, especially as a coach to know how your team's going to react to competition, all that stuff. So yeah, so that'll be interesting. But the Florida game is going to be a, that's going to be really hard. <laughs> That's what we said about Oklahoma, man, and look what happened. We did say that. I think they had a little more firepower, but uh, we'll see what happens. And then I'm excited because, like, their non-conference season for the next couple of weeks is great. Yeah, I was, really... I was just scrolling through with so many. Uh, from now until March 19th, they have a pretty hefty uh, tournament yeah. schedule every weekend and, like, hefty. Yeah, like, there's a – a matchup there at home against Arkansas, which is awesome. They play a Notre Dame team that is sneaky good. Notre Dame beat Charlotte. It was like, I think it was, it was something insane. Let me make sure I get it. Yeah, it was 16 to one. <laughs> the same Charlotte team that JMU just lost to. Yeah. So that's, that's <laughs> one that I thought was uh, interesting. So they're a, they're a good team. Notre Dame's got a solid little club there. So uh, that's a test. <laughs> and then at Liberty, like Liberty, that's a program that JMU barely got by last year. They had some hard fought games. Remember, but they, they the did get by, Bennett. They did get. They by. actually did get by, but it was it was a battle. So they've got some really exciting matchups coming up. If they want that large berth, they're going to have to find a way to scrap out some wins in some of those matchups. Um, but uh, yeah, exciting to watch how this young team with a bunch of names that I'm like still learning might develop. One hundred percent. Anything else you want to add? Anything else? Any other? Oh, lacrosse, lacrosse, lacrosse. We'll do lacrosse, lacrosse here before you fall asleep. So I don't know why <laughs> just I just kidding. got hit with like the major <laughs> yawns. Lacrosse is fun because they play a great schedule pretty much all year, and some of the CA teams are actually good. But they opened with North Carolina, lost, heartbreaking loss. It's actually the first time they'd ever lost to Virginia Tech. They lost? I was lost. following along with that game, and the last time I checked, they had like a three-goal lead with maybe – Lost to Virginia Tech. Play. First loss, if I'm not mistaken, first loss. No, they had – they were up – yeah, they were up a couple there kind of late in the third. Yeah. And even in the fourth, actually, they were up nine to seven and ended up losing 10 to nine. So that's a tough one. But then they beat UConn, um, a ranked UConn team, 13 to seven. So they play high point on Saturday. I think they'll be fine. They're not, I don't yeah. think they're like a national title contender, but I think they're a top 15 kind of team, which will be a fun team to watch if you have time this year. And uh, they play in College Park on 26th of March. Maybe I'll find my way there. Oh, College Park, here you come. No, uh, looking over the schedule, it's going to be – that's a fun schedule. Ohio State, Penn State, yeah. um, Rutgers, Richmond, Virginia, Maryland, High Point. Is there a non-conference? That's, that's a really good schedule. This is going to be a good team. It's I was a great also, schedule. I was happy with the 15-8 and eight loss against UNC. Like, I, I was kind of expecting them to lose, like, 15-3 to three or 17-2. or 17 to two. <laughs> You know, they're going to get smoked that bad. You really don't believe in them. I set myself up for low expectations. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, I think they're a they're a solid team. 
So, uh, yeah, I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> Sorry, my, I think my yawns are impacting you. No, it's, it's kind of hard to analyze some of the uh, Olympic sports because there's not a lot that you're able to actually watch. Yes. All right, anything else you want to add? Any other sport, last-second sport, women's golf, men's golf, anything like that? No, but okay. I, <laughs> on Tuesday it is March 1st, which Correct. knock on wood could <laughs> could be the uh, Sunbelt sk- football schedule reveal, which would be a real jolt to my system. I would say we could break down the Sunbelt CUSA would, drama, but uh, I don't understand it. Yeah, a lot of legal stuff going on. JMU is not involved in it. I don't <laughs> care. The boys are in the belt. <laughs> and uh, the girls are in the belt. Everybody's in the belt. So that's all that matters, you know. So, well, hopefully they release that schedule. We'll analyze it. And I think, you know, Todd Centeno and the, and the boys probably going 11-0. I thought it was Centeno. Is it? What did I say, Centeno? I think it is Centeno, yeah. Don't, get, Centeno. don't get it confused with Tino Sanseri. As some of us have done. <laughs> as some of us, we're not pointing fingers here, but as some of us have done on Twitter spaces... But uh, yeah, I'm excited for for that and kind of easing into this spring sports season. Hopefully I'll have a chance to maybe watch some of these games. It would be cool if baseball or softball, in addition to lacrosse, made the NCAA tournament. I'll add that. Yeah. All right. For Bennett Conlon, my name's Jack Fitzpatrick. Thank you guys so much for tuning into the JMU Sports News Podcast presented by Bet Online. Have a wonderful rest of your day and we're excited for next podcast to be breaking down a Sunbelt football schedule. See ya. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.